Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, this week we have a very special guest, someone who has been very much in the news for the last uh, 15 to 18 months, someone whose voice and someone whose face is quite familiar to almost everyone who has been involved in wondering about COVID-19. That's Dr. Mandy Cohen, who is the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. And as we said for the last uh, 18 months or so, has been just uh, so much uh, a part of our, uh, uh, we, we hang on every word you say, uh, Dr. Cohen, because we're all so concerned about this this terrible thing that seems to be sort of uh, rearing its head again. So what I'd like to do is uh, start off by, you had a press conference on Thursday afternoon. Would you mind uh, sort of reviewing the things that you said there and then we'll take off from there. So what was your message on Thursday afternoon? Sure. Well, first, it's great to be back. Um, and it, I know it has been a hard 18 months for everyone. Uh, not only has everyone's personal lives been turned upside down, professional lives have been turned upside down. So I've really been proud of North Carolina's efforts to date. But um, at, at the press conference, we shared detailed information about what we're seeing now with our trends and what's going on across our state. Um, And what we see now, the bottom line, is that we are seeing high and rapid rates of increasing cases. So we're seeing cases increase rapidly. We're seeing hospitalizations increase rapidly. And it's really due to a much more contagious version of COVID than we had seen earlier. It's called the Delta variant. Um, It is much, much more contagious um, and it is spreading quickly across North Carolina. And the other thing I shared was that most of the people who are getting COVID are unvaccinated. So this is turning into a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Many folks here in North Carolina are vaccinated, um, but we still have many who aren't. And as you know, we also don't have children under the age of 12 who could get vaccinated at this point. They're not eligible. Um, so we have a, a stronger COVID that's more contagious, that's spreading rapidly, um, and it's infecting folks who are largely unvaccinated. The uh, folks who are unvaccinated, what, what is the percentage of those if you take out the uh, under 12-year-old uh, under group? Yeah, so right now, if you just look at those who are over the age of 12, right, so those are the people who are eligible, about 55% of that group is vaccinated. So just doing math, that means 45% aren't. Um, So we, you know, we still have a sizable amount of our state that is eligible for a vaccine, but has not gotten one yet. If you look just at adults over the age of 18, about 60% of them have gotten at least one dose. And when you get to our older population, over 65, about 87%. So we know we're doing pretty good at folks who are over the age of 65. And that's good news because we knew they were at the highest risk. But this is not just a a pandemic that unfortunately only impacts those who are older. Um, We need to protect everyone. Um, And the reason why um, is because there are really serious implications for getting COVID. Um, What we are seeing is more people are seeing long-term symptoms from COVID. They are losing their sense of smell 
and for months and months and months, it doesn't come back. They're having fatigue that doesn't go away for months and months. They're having brain fog, difficulty breathing. Um, and so while we're, we're happy to see that um, we are protecting our older adults with vaccines, we still need to get many, many more of our younger um, adults uh, vaccinated. And unfortunately, what we are seeing is this contagious variant is finding them right now. So we see our cases are really rapidly rising um, in those who are unvaccinated. Are the symptoms and the uh, the treatments once someone gets the Delta variants, is it pretty similar to the same symptoms and the same treatment that we had before the Delta variants? Or well, so uh, the symptoms yeah, so the symptoms of COVID are very similar. What's happening with this more contagious variant is you get sick sooner and you get sicker, meaning that there's more virus in your body. So you're more likely to have multiple kinds of the symptoms. So more loss of smell, um, more cough, more fever, um, more difficulty breathing. Um, so those are the kinds of things. So it's it's still the same symptoms, but because this virus is more contagious, you tend to have more virus in your body. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing more of those long-term sick uh, sicknesses that I was talking about. Some are calling it long COVID syndrome um, that we're seeing from folks. I think I, I remember your press conference on Thursday afternoon that you said that uh, that the uh, number of people that uh, uh, are spread by uh, an infected person is higher with the Delta variants than the regular COVID. That's right. So if you looked at the original COVID virus, on average, if you were someone with COVID, you would be spreading it to about two to three people. Now, if you get the Delta version of COVID, this more contagious variant, you're on average spreading it to six people, right? So that's much, you know, it's double the number of people that any one person is spreading their virus to. And it's why you're, we're seeing really rapid rates of increases of our cases. Um, on Thursday at that press conference, we shared that there was over 3,000 new cases in just 24 hours. We haven't been at that high level since February of this year. Um, so we are, are rapidly getting back to that place of high cases. We're seeing our hospitalizations go up uh, as well. And again, I'll emphasize that unfortunately what we are seeing is these cases, these hospitalizations are in people who are unvaccinated, meeting unprotected. Um, and, it, and that shouldn't be the case. Vaccines are widely available. You can walk in to any pharmacy, to your health department, your doctor's office and get a vaccine for free um, same day. So uh, it, it really, we, we want, our message is really about vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. They're safe and effective. They work. Um, and we need more people vaccinated. So let's talk a little bit about why people are resistant to uh, taking it. Uh, you know, a lot of it usually involves uh, things that uh, they've heard or seen. What, what are the main reasons that people give you or, or, or whoever's checking on the gift for not taking the shots when they're so available and they're free. Well, I think there's an, I know, I hear a number of reasons why why people say that they aren't taking it. And, and I think people fall into three buckets. Some 
want to get the vaccine, but for what, whatever reason, life is complicated. They're working a number of jobs, running around, you know, after their kids and they just can't find the time. So we want to make sure access is easy for folks, that they have the transportation they need. I think there's a group of folks, though, that need more information. And I think this is where I, I am focusing our, our efforts. Um, they want to understand, well, how, did, how does this vaccine work? How quick, you know, should I be worried that it was what we have this vaccine as quickly as we did? Um, it's new. Tell me more about it. So those are the kinds of things that um, I'm often hearing. And, no, you know, we have seen this vac- these vaccines being given to more than 160 million Americans. That's just Americans, not even worldwide, you know, safely given to 160 million Americans. And so while I can understand why people wanted to maybe, you know, give it a little time, let me see how this works. I don't want to be first in line. That's not the time anymore. Now we have seen over and over and over 160 million times over that these vaccines are safe. And the other thing that we know now even more from data is that these vaccines are effective. We saw they were effective in the clinical trials, um, but they've held up to that effectiveness in real life. Um, no, you know, the vaccines are not perfect, right? They, we, we never thought they were perfect. It doesn't mean that, that, um, that it's never possible for you to get COVID, but they are incredibly, incredibly effective um, at protecting you and are continue to be effective with the Delta variant. Of the three vaccines that we hear the most about, has there been any uh, uh, evidence that one is more effective than the other? Well, we knew from clinical trials that the two-dose vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, which both require two vaccines, did have a higher effective rate at protecting you from COVID than the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So we knew that coming out, um, that the two-shot regimen protects you about 90% of the time, um, and the Johnson & Johnson was closer to about 70%. Um, and so, and that, that has held up, um, which is actually very good. So, so the, the two shot vaccines that we're seeing are probably like 88% and Johnson and Johnson somewhere is like 67% um, as we, we uh, look at it with the Delta variant. So we, we knew that Johnson and Johnson was, you know, slightly less effective, but still 67% effective is very good. And I should tell everyone who's listening, I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I got the one and done uh, vaccine myself. Um, and there are many reasons why folks, you know, particularly if anyone's out there who doesn't like shots, I get it. They only want one and they want to be done. Um, I recommend the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. You know, if you, it is slightly less effective than the Pfizer or the Moderna, but you get the benefit of one and done. So, you know, you, you make a decision that's right for you. Just choose a vaccine. I think somewhere I've heard uh, that even in that 10% or the, the, the less than 100% factor, uh, whatever it is, 10 to 15%, uh, that even uh, in those cases where you're vaccinated, if you do get COVID, you're probably going to have a, 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 a lesser uh, version of it. Is that is that true or is that just something I've heard? That's a, no, no, it's a great point. And thank you for bringing that up. So you know, what I want, would say is getting COVID once you've been vaccinated is first, very rare. Um, you know, it, it's possible, but it is rare. You know, nine out of 10 times, the, this case is going to be in someone who is unvaccinated. As I said, they're 90% approximately. So it's possible. 
But you are right in, in saying that these vaccines um, are very, very effective at preventing hospitalization, severe disease, and death, right? So they keep you out of the hospital. So even if you get COVID after getting a vaccine, it would be less severe than if you didn't get a vaccine at all. And that's because the vaccines teach your body to recognize COVID. They, they teach your body to be looking out for the COVID. So even if you, you end up getting it, your body has some familiarity with, with COVID and can fight it off more easily and more quickly. So you do get a less severe infection if you do get it after vaccine. Um, people probably have that familiarity with flu vaccine too. Every year, if you get a flu vaccine, what they will say is, you know, flu vaccine also not perfect. Um, and in fact, is a less effective vaccine than the COVID vaccine generally. Um, but if you get the flu vaccine, you often get a much more mild case of the flu. It's sort of the same thing here. Well, that's, that's certainly good news to hear. Well, there are lots of other questions that we have for Dr. Cohen, and we have uh, three more segments, and we'll get into those. And we also want to talk about, in at least one of the segments, uh, the uh, the other things that that are affecting our health in North Carolina, including uh, flu and colds, which uh, apparently went down last year. And we want to talk a little bit about that. Our guest is Dr. Mandy Cohen, and we will be back with much more right here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Dr. Mandy Cohen is our guest. She's the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And she has been the face and the voice that we've heard for the last 18 months here in North Carolina uh, uh, on how North Carolina has reacted. And, you know, you started the program off, uh, Dr. Cohen, by saying that North Carolina has uh, really handled this thing much better than a lot of states. What do you attribute that to? Did we get, uh, were we ahead of the game and uh, just uh, did things better? But basically, we, we've come out better than most states. Well, well, thank you. I'm, I'm really proud of our efforts in the state. And I think it's because we've listened to the science and the data. and We let that lead us uh, through this pandemic. And we tried to find um, the uh, way through this 
um, understanding that we needed to protect the public's health, um, but that that hard decisions about public health also impacted other parts of, of our lives and the economy and people's jobs and their lives. And we really tried to balance that. I think that's one is we listen to the science, the data, and we let that guide us um, through some of these hard decision making. But I also think it was the collaborative work here in North Carolina um, in the response effort itself um, that started with um, the, the collaboration to get PPE for all of our healthcare workers to make sure we got testing and got that across the state. Um, and then to make sure we had the hospital capacity that we needed. For us, it was never about space. It was always about people and making sure we had the doctors, nurses, and other respiratory techs and such that we needed. And I'm really proud of the collaboration um, uh, across the state. I'm pretty proud of, all, you know, the hospital systems, I want to say, really stepped up here. Obviously, our public health departments were tremendous um, through this, but I think it was the combination of, of public health with our hospital systems um, and that constant communication and collaboration uh, that allowed us to get through this together. Um, and North Carolina pulled together. Um, and I will also say our geography helped us out here a little bit as well, right? We weren't the Northeast, so we didn't get that first surge. Um, we avoided some of the, the really bad surges that we saw in the, in the South um, and the other, our other Southeastern states. And again, I think those, we were making good deci policy decisions and we had good execution. Um, so I'm pretty proud of, of that work. Mask, uh, of course, uh, uh, a great concern. So do you see uh, during the next couple of three weeks that we're going to get back to where we are going to see a lot more masks being worn? And should we see more masks being worn? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, the governor and I on Thursday in our press conference, we really focused on vaccines because not that masks don't work, but vaccines are our way out of this pandemic. So we are definitely focusing our energy and effort on getting more folks vaccinated because I think that that is the way we're going through. But we also said if you're not vaccinated, right, if you are unvaccinated, you absolutely need to be wearing a mask, right? So if you're choosing not to be vaccinated for whatever reason, again, I hope you don't, but if you aren't vaccinated, you need to do some other things. You need to be wearing a mask um, and, and you need to be getting tested as well. Um, and so we announced for uh, state employees um, that are that work for the governor's cabinet agencies, and one of them is my my team uh, at the Department of Health and Human Services, that you need to verify your vaccine status with us so we can know if you're vaccinated or not. And if you're not, we do need you to be wearing a mask all the time, and we need you to be participating in weekly testing. Um, because like I said, it's a contagious variant. We need to protect everybody. Um, and so we need to make sure we're, we're protecting all of our, our workforce. And, uh, you know, the, the unvaccinated are making a choice. I, uh, you know, I wish I wish they would choose vaccine, but if they don't um, to participate, at least in wearing masks and uh, getting tested. Mask, of course, uh, primarily eliminates spreading. Is ma Do masks help uh, on the receiving end much at all? In it's a good words, question. It, it does, it helps both, right? So if you wear a mask, you are, I would say you are doing both. You are both protecting yourself, but you are also preventing you from spreading to others. And it, it does depend a bit on the 
the type of mask that you are wearing uh, in terms of the level of protection to the individual. Um, anything that, the, and the CDC has put out guidance on this, anything with, with a double layer of mask seem, does have some protective uh, um, ability for the individual wearing it. So if you are wearing a cloth mask that is that has two layers, you are doing protection for you, but you are also protecting others from you. Then you can step up and do uh, different kinds of masks. So you can do hospital grade surgical masks, or you can do something that has even more filtration, like a KN95 or an N95 mask that has special material that helps uh, protect you. Now, a year ago when we were at the beginning of this and we didn't have enough protective equipment for our health systems and we, you know, we, we all said you got to use the cloth face coverings because we, we just don't have enough of that other material. Now we're in a very different place. There's lots of masks around. Um, so I would say if there are folks, particularly if you're immunocompromised um, or if you feel like you are at high risk, not only to wear a mask, but you might want to think about wearing one that um, does um, more filtration. And those you can buy, you know, you can buy those anywhere at this point. Let's talk about our school system. Uh, do you think there's a possibility that uh, this round of increased number of cases is going to have an effect on the startup of school? Well, we're going to work to make sure that that doesn't happen. And what we've learned through through this whole COVID pandemic is that we can have our kids in school safely um, and in person um, when we use some safety protocols. Um, and I should share, just like I shared, I got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I'm a mom of a seven and a nine-year-old. Um, who go to the Wake County Public Schools. Um, obviously, if they're seven and nine, they're not eligible for vaccines right now. Um, and my kids went to in-person school um, for a, most of this past year. Um, there were a couple of cases of COVID at the school, but luckily nothing that got transmitted at the school. And, and I say lucky, but it was really because of hard work, right? All the kids were wearing masks and they were doing the safety protocols that were in um, our toolkit um, that we worked really hard on. And we have updated that for this coming school year. And what we have said, um, and the CDC updated their guidance uh, even this week to say all students and staff, kindergarten to 12th grade, they need to be wearing masks, right? So that's how we that's how we keep our kids safely in schools. We know that schools can be a low risk setting if we do those safety protocols, if we do masks um, and we wash hands and, and do some of those other safety protocols. So I don't think that we need to risk having our kids in school as long as our, our schools follow those toolkits. Are we requiring teachers to all be vaccinated or are they under the same protocols that everyone else uh, outside of the school system? Well, I think a school district could make the decision to go to say we require vaccine. I haven't heard that any school districts are doing it. I do hope that school districts will do what we are doing as an employer, that they will track people's vaccination status and be sure that their unvaccinated teachers not only are wearing a mask, because that's required for everyone no matter what, but that they'll participate in weekly testing as well. So um, again, that's going to be something the school district's going to need to decide to do. What I, we're doing on our end from the state is offering every school and every school district free testing um, to make it easy for our teachers to get tested 
um, if they are unvaccinated or if the school just wants to use screening testing protocols. So we're trying to make testing very accessible and free. Um, but for those who are unvaccinated, you got to wear a mask, got to get tested. So are, are you at the same risk if you're an adult, uh, but you're exposed to a child that has COVID? Uh, is the risk still the same or is there less risk for adults catching it from children? Yeah, so what we've seen through this is that COVID and in kids does act differently. Kids seem to get COVID less often. They get less sick from it and they seem to transmit it to others less often. Now, I say less often, but that doesn't mean never. So kids do get COVID. They do unfortunately get sick from COVID and they can give it to others. Just as we're seeing this virus change for adults, we're seeing it change for kids. So it's more contagious for adults and it's more contagious for kids. So we are seeing more cases in kids. We are seeing kids give it to other kids or give it back to an adult. It is less likely, um, but it is still possible um, because now this virus is more contagious than it was before. Um, but this is again why those safety protocols are important. Uh, wearing masks and washing your hands, um, still important. So, I, And our teachers can get vaccinated, right? All of our teachers can get vaccinated right now. We, we even move them high up in the, in the, the order of everyone getting vaccinated so they could get access to vaccines sooner. Um, so with teachers vaccinated with those safety protocols, I feel very good about our teachers being protected. Now, uh Kids over the age of 12 are now eligible. Are you recommending that uh, kids uh, between 12 and 18 or whatever the adult age is uh, be vaccinated? Oh, absolutely. Um, yes, I think everyone 12 to 18 should get should get vaccinated. Um, and so, and, and I hope they do it as, as soon as possible. So we are very much recommending it. There, there's only one vaccine that is available to um to our young adults, 12 to 18, and that's the Pfizer vaccine. So um, if you wanna have your kid vaccinated, please go to myspot.nc.gov and you need to look specifically for where the Pfizer vaccine is being offered. Um, but we very much want you, and there's still time to get that get that vaccine done before back to school. Um, there's, a, there's a number of our vaccine sites that are doing specific back to school kind of events. Um, and we're seeing more of, of folks coming back from, from, from summer and, and getting their vaccine. That's good. When do you think the vaccine or a vaccine will be available for those under 12? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. What I can say is the latest I have heard is that the Pfizer Pfizer company is on the fastest track to get their their vaccine approved for kids ages five to eleven? They've been doing clinical trials this whole year. Um, they have said they plan to wrap up those clinical trials and submit their data to the FDA by the end of September. The FDA usually takes about four to six weeks to review it, so probably through the month of October. So I'm hopeful that probably the earliest we would see it is probably mid-November, but I would say probably more likely December in case, you know, any hiccups along the way of, of the review. Um, so that's for the Pfizer vaccine. So I think the earliest we would see it is mid-November, I think more likely December or January. So you do think that's coming and, uh, and will be coming. a part of it? Yeah. 
That is right. And so, I will say they ran trials here in North Carolina. I know a number of um, um, uh, folks have participated in those. Yes. Well, I think we've sort of wrapped up the, the thing on vaccinations. And uh, again, uh, your word of wisdom to everyone is get vaccinated. And, and this, you know, for those who are saying they have a problem with time, they're going to be uh, faced with the task of being uh, tested once a week. So they should be able to find time to take a shot, it would seem to me. I hope so. And if they want, we're, we're offering $25 cash cards to to incentivize folks. We, we've been given away a million dollar lottery. Uh, we've done that uh, three times. We have one more uh, uh, lottery winner uh, to announce. So get your vaccine as soon as possible so you can be eligible for that. Dr. Mandy Cohen is our guest and we're going to come back with the next segment. During the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about colds and ordinary flu and a few other things that maybe we learned some good lessons for them. Uh, the situation we had last fall. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt Pure Love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Well, one of the gifts that uh, the uh, North gave us, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a born Southerner, and so we always talk about Yankees, Dr. Cohen, and of course, obviously, uh, we, we put everybody that comes from Virginia or North as a Yankee. But you are one of the great gifts that we've had. You're a graduate of Cornell University where you got your medical degree from, uh, well, no, you got your medical degree actually from Yale and uh, you graduated from Cornell. So obviously you fall into that category of being a Yankee. But we are so glad to have you here. And you've been such a blessing to us in the state because you've guided us through this entire COVID situation. You've been frequently on with uh, Governor Cooper in press conferences and given us so much good advice. And as we said earlier, North Carolina has done so much better than many of our uh, peer states uh, and uh, our friends and neighbors uh, in uh, other states. I, I do want to change uh, course a little bit in this segment and talk about some other things that we learned from wearing masks and washing hands. And that was that the ordinary flu cases were down significantly last year. 
and the number of head colds were down significantly. The, I'm assuming that this came from the wearing of masks and washing hands. Is, uh, is there any other explanation other than that? It turns out the three W's, wearing a face covering, waiting six feet apart, washing your hands, works for lots of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think you were right. Uh, one of the side benefits, if there was any silver lining in all this, is we saw almost no flu across North Carolina all of last winter. We saw very little what's called RSV, which is a common virus that impacts our kids in particular. We saw very little para-influenza. So, uh, you know, what it shows is how contagious even the original COVID virus was, right? Because we were doing the masks and the, the six feet apart and the washing hands for everything. Flu went away almost completely. COVID was still here. Right. And it just shows you how contagious COVID is compared to flu. So when say uh, people say, oh, this was just the flu, it absolutely was not. Um, but that was a side benefit. We didn't see flu. But interestingly, um, what we are seeing this summer is a resurgence of those viruses that we normally only see in the winter. Right. Because we've, we've all been taking our masks off because the vaccines have been, you know, or around. We had low levels of COVID. So We've been we've been hugging a lot, which is wonderful. We've been doing all the things that we we, we loved to do, but that vi those viruses were still lurking around. And you know, talking to my medical colleagues, um, particularly my, my pediatric colleagues, they're seeing a lot more children with some of those more severe uh, viral illnesses, more kids in the hospital. When that's something we normally don't see in the summertime, and um, we're seeing it right now. So. Uh, those viruses are, are here, and when we're not doing the three Ws, they do come back. Well, I know right now our focus is on the Delta variants and, and the COVID-19, but do you think we should have a big push when the flu season starts and the, the uh, ordinary cold season starts to uh, push everyone back to wearing masks because the, the shots we've taken for COVID-19 don't prevent those other things? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, I will say in the United States, wearing masks in the wintertime when it was flu season and, and, and such wasn't a thing you saw here in the United States. But if you look in other countries, that is something um, that you would see um, pretty commonly. And I, I think this will, will be, uh, we'll see how folks uh, react to that. Um, I, I would certainly say if you are immunocompromised, either a, a child is medically frail, you are immunocompromised, meaning you have uh, your immune system is weakened for some reason. I absolutely think that extra layer of protection, having a mask and certainly washing your hands all the time is going to be useful for, for not just preventing COVID, for, but these other things. So I do think that we've learned a lot here. And I think you will have seen masks become more of a normal thing that people will wear uh, out and about to protect themselves and others. What were the other positive lessons that we learned, uh, maybe in hospital administration or in just general health care for, uh, providers? Uh, uh, what other lessons did we learn during the last 18 months that might be useful for the future? Yeah, uh, what a great question. And I think we're still learning lessons. But, um, you know, what I would say is that um, we really needed detailed data in order to make really important decisions. So we needed data about who was getting infected, where were they getting infected, where were they getting tested and hospitalized, 
who were they? How old were they? All of that information was so important to make hard decisions for our whole state. And at first, we didn't have the capacity to even collect that data um, and then analyze it. And so we definitely learned about the importance of creating a data infrastructure um, across our state that's not just for COVID, but that can be used for a number of things to help us make good data-informed decisions. I think that's one. Um, Second, I think we also saw that health is so much more than than COVID or just a COVID test or a COVID vaccine, um, you know, and I think COVID shined a light on, on this is that when you got, when someone had COVID or was exposed to COVID, it wasn't just about getting them a test, but they, we had to think about, do they have a safe place to isolate? Do they have access to food? Um, did they have transportation to their medical visit if they needed? All of those things. Um, we had to think about mental health, about Um, their spiritual health, um, and obviously about economic health. So one of the things I I, I think in in COVID is that really made us think about whole person health in a very comprehensive way. And that when we attack these hard problems, we can't just think about, okay, check the box, access to a test. It it is much bigger than that. Um, And when we think about a health response, it has to be a whole person response that's more than just the physical health aspect of it. I also think we learned a lot on the equity front. Obviously, this was a, a, a year that was incredibly hard because of the pandemic, but also important conversations about racial justice um, and the fact that this COVID pandemic impacted our historically marginalized populations in a very different way. So I think the way we go about our programs and, um, and how we do our response effort Um, And bringing an equity lens to it is certainly a really important lesson that we've learned. Well, I know your focus has been so much, uh, and uh, rightly so, on uh, COVID-19. But, of course, you're worried, as you said, about the whole health situation in North Carolina. Uh, Have we made any great strides in, uh, let's just take diabetes. Are we we learning more about how to treat that and how to uh, eliminate the the effects of uh, that uh, terrible, terrible condition? No, we have, it's a great question. And we have a lot of challenges that were here before COVID and they'll be here after COVID. I think um, diabetes is one of them, heart disease, um, right? We have a lot, we still have a lot of smokers in our state. We have a lot of folks who um, we we need to think about um, their, their health in different ways. And I think we are making progress on some of the issues, particularly on, in diabetes, um, but but we certainly have much more to do. And I want to go back to that third lesson that I mentioned around equity, is I think that we've been making some progress, but what we still see is a disparity, meaning our African-American communities, our Hispanic communities, um, we see worse rates of diabetes um, in those communities and less access to the the necessary treatments that they need. And so I think you're gonna see as we go forward here, a particular emphasis from my department on closing that disparity and really focusing on our underserved communities. Where are we with teenage smoking these days? Is it, uh, uh, are we getting any results from all the efforts that we're making to eliminate teenagers from getting hooked on cigarettes? Yeah, after a long decline of seeing smoking rates go down, I think you know with the advent of um, uh, you know e-cigarettes um, that we have seen more smoking go up, and particularly the flavored 
uh, uh, e-cigarettes. So, you know, that has become a resurgence of a challenge uh, here. Um, I think there's been some important action at the federal level um, around tobacco control and making sure to regulate the products so that they aren't flavors like bubble gum uh, and cherry and what, what have you um, that are that appeal more to our, our younger population, um, our young our, our young adults um, to make sure that they don't get started with tobacco because we know once once you get started so addictive it's really hard to uh, uh, to stop so I think there's been important actions taken at the federal level and again I think we do a good job here of making sure that we are, are keeping uh, tobacco away from our, our teenagers but always more work to do again I know one of the uh, factors I'm sure or one of the conditions that you were worried about when you took your position, uh, back in January of 2017, before COVID was, of course, the situation involving mental health in North Carolina, because I think almost everyone agrees we're a little bit behind the eight ball there. Mm -hmm. Are we any progress? Well, I'm glad you brought up mental health, because this is something I'm extremely concerned about. Um, as we've gone through this really challenging pandemic, this 18 months um, it has been quite a strain, frankly, on everyone's mental health. And those who had underlying mental health illness certainly seeing additional strain there. And before we went into COVID, we had an underfunded, uh, uncoordinated, stigmatized mental health system. Uh, and so we had challenges as we went into COVID. And as we come out of it, this traumatic sort of experience that everyone's been in, I think we're going to actually see, unfortunately, a worsening of mental health before it gets better. I think we've seen that in past disasters like hurricanes. Um, so we are we are preparing for that, but I am very worried that we do not have the tools we need here in North Carolina. And one of the reasons is because we have a much higher uninsured rate here in North Carolina than in almost every other state in the country because we have not expanded Medicaid. Um, it's something the governor and I talk a lot about um, is that we need to make sure that we get access to insurance for 500,000 North Carolinians. Um, often those are the folks who are working two jobs, their job doesn't offer them health insurance, um, but you know they're like, they, they are often the ones who need mental health services the most. Um, and so we, we definitely need to expand Medicaid. I don't think that's the only thing we need to do to improve our mental health system, but I, I think that we are trying to to fight that um, and make things better in mental health with one hand tied behind our back if we don't have Medicaid expansion. And the governor and I are, are working all the time to work with our General Assembly to help them understand why it's so important to expand Medicaid now. Um, we should have done it before the pandemic. Um, again, we I think we compensated for it, but we could I think we could have been stronger if we had it going in. Um, so this is the right time. And you, you may know this all, already, but those those listening, if we expand Medicaid this year, the federal government actually put an extra bonus in there for states like North Carolina, because there's so few of us left that have not expanded Medicaid. They said, if you expand Medicaid this year, we're going to give you an extra bonus of money. And what it, that translates to, to North Carolina is about $1.7 billion with a B. Uh, dollars over two years in additional funding. That's funding I want to use to improve the mental health system, um, right? So it's a double bonus. You get you get plenty of folks covered, all with federal dollars, no state dollars, and um, some bonus um, additional fu federal funds 
uh, to help us here in North Carolina. So those are things I want to take advantage of. Well, that for some reason, that's been a matter of concern with the General Assembly for some time. And as you said, we are one of the few states that uh, has uh, done this so far. Uh, so we'll just have to see how that plays out during the rest of the, uh, the session. Well, uh, I hope I so, promise. because I, I know that they, they, you know, I hear people say that they're worried about mental health. I know they are in the General Assembly, and this is a really important tool to help us um, impact mental health. I also hear about access to care in rural areas. Our state is incredibly rural, as you well know. Um, and this is what, what will help us keep our rural hospitals and other rural access points open. Um, if you look at states that have expanded Medicaid, they've had no rural hospital closures. That's not the case here in North Carolina. So a lot of reasons to expand Medicaid and um, we're going to keep working at it. Our guest is Dr. Mandy Cohen and we'll have one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers and we'll do that right after these messages. As an 18 year old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on the Carolina Newsmakers is Dr. Mandy Cohen. She's the secretary of the Department of uh, Health and Human Ser uh, Services for the state of North Carolina. And uh, uh, we opened the program by talking about the press conference she had on Thursday with the governor. In which we talked about the, uh, uh, the uh, sudden expansion of or, or resurgence, I guess, of the COVID situation with the new Delta variants. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'd like to remind you that if you missed the broadcast, the first broadcast, and you would like to hear it or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, well, Dr. Cohen, again, when we opened the program, we talked about the fact that the Delta variance has just sort of weird its ugly head here, and we've got about uh, somewhere around 55 to 60 percent of the people in the state of North Carolina who are vaccinated, and the other 40 percent are really sort of rolling the dice right now. And uh, your advice is basically take those shots. 
Well, absolutely. The most important thing that folks could take away from all of this is we need to get more folks vaccinated. So if you are vaccinated already, I urge you to talk to friends and family who are not vaccinated and tell them why you got vaccinated and really urge them to get their vaccine as quickly as possible. I think you're, you absolutely are right in saying that the Delta variant, this new COVID virus is a different virus than we were dealing with before. It is way more contagious, much, much more contagious, and it is spreading rapidly across this state. It's going to find you if you are unvaccinated. Um, what we are seeing is nearly all the cases, all the hospitalizations are in people who are unvaccinated. And so we are really focusing on getting people vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're pr protecting folks. Vaccine is widely available. It is safe and it is effective. We still have obviously 40% of the people unvaccinated, some of them for matters of convenience, but there are other things that go around that somebody says, well, if I get vaccinated, I can, you know, this will happen or that'll happen. What are some of the common things that you hear that uh, you'd like to say, okay, that's just basically not true? Well, one, I want folks to know that no corners were cut in, in getting this vaccine out quickly to folks. Um, this was an effort um, that has been researched for decades. Um, and we were lucky enough to take advantage of those decades of research and put them into action here for these vaccines. Um, and it wasn't that corners were cut, it's just that all of the attention went and all the, the resources, the money and the smartness, uh, the brilliance of our scientists went towards these vaccines. And we were really able to streamline the process and get it, get it out and get it to people quickly. And I'm so grateful to our scientific community for doing that because I don't know what would what would be happening right now if we didn't have vaccines with this much more contagious variant we we would be um, in a much worse place so um, I, that's one I want folks to know that this vaccine has been rigorously tested um, it has we, there was no corners cut 160 million Americans have gotten vaccinated the other thing I want to say is that you know for young people they say well I don't I don't need the vaccine I I'm, I'm just going to get COVID. It's going to be fine. I'll get over it. But what I would say is, is that 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 is that is definitely underestimating the the seriousness of this virus. Now, I'm not worried about some of our younger younger folks going to the hospital or uh, or, or dying. But getting COVID is not fun. <laughs> um, you get very sick, and I would say, well, we're, that you know, you lose your sense of smell. And then that could be gone for months and months and months. That means not smelling. That means not tasting your food for months. You can get a really bad cough and be short of breath for months, brain fog for months. You don't want that. Just get your vaccine. You can get a one and done Johnson and Johnson shot if you don't like shots. So those are the things I want folks to know that this virus is that, that this vaccine is safe and effective, but this virus is serious and no one can escape it. And so it's better for you to get vaccinated right now. Well, I think I, you, you mentioned earlier that you got the J&J &J version and uh, a lot of people have uh, uh, looked at that as a one-shot version. Of course, the two-shot thing. Now, we hear a lot about the possibility that there might need, be a need for booster shots later on. Is there any evidence yet that that's going to be something that we're going to look at? Well, I think that we're 
having a booster shot is probably something that will happen. The question is when, um, and what will that version of that that shot, that vaccine look like? I think what the scientists are still working through that right now. We're trying to understand: Are we going to get another dose of the same vaccine that we've we've gotten before? So, if you've gotten two doses of Pfizer, will you get a third? Um, or I know Pfizer and other companies are working on a version 2.0, if you will, of the vaccine to help us combat some of these newer strains of the virus that they are seeing. So I think the scientific community is still studying whether or not we're going to get another dose of the uh, first vaccine, or are we going to get uh, the, ne the, the next generation, if you will, of the vaccine uh, going forward. I don't think we still know that yet, but what I will say is this virus is changing and immunity wanes, meaning your body forgets. Um, the, you know, the vaccine is training your body to recognize COVID and it can forget over time. So just because we need a booster doesn't mean anything has gone wrong. It just means this virus changes and sometimes your immunity isn't as strong over time. So I do think it is likely. The question is when. I can't answer that question. It could be later this year. I think more likely next year. Now, we're just now getting to the point where we're opening up things like uh, uh, full houses at athletic events. And we've got the high school football season about to begin, the college football season. Uh, is there any concern on your part that the uh, resurgence of the Delta variants is going to change any of that? Well, we're we in a very different place than we were at the start of, of uh, football season last fall. We have vaccines um, and all of our football players are eligible for those vaccines. So get them now before the season starts. Um, so that's what we, we, we're hoping everyone does. Get vaccinated now. Um, protect yourself. Protect your teammates uh, before you get into the season. What about fans in the stands where you're talking about being with 55,000 other people? Yeah, well, I hope I hope all of them get vaccinated. Again, I think this is about vaccines. I hope they all get vaccinated because the more people that get vaccinated, we're protected. When we're, I, I'm yeah. less concerned about viral spread outdoors, um, but we when we get into things where we have unvaccinated people indoors yelling and cheering, that's a recipe for spreading virus. Um, so I, I hope we um, are, are seeing more people get vaccinated and that some of those higher risk settings, I hope they are um, doing more to make sure the unvaccinated wear masks. If you choose not to get vaccinated, you're choosing to to wear a mask um, and in order to participate in in, in these uh, activities because you could you could spread a, a virus that could kill someone. And so, you know, it 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 is a different it is a different thing. Your choice to not get vaccinated or your choice not to wear a mask is impacting others. It's not the same thing as just making an individual choice for yourself. Your choices impact the health and well-being of others. Is there an effective uh, home test available for testing to see if you have COVID-19? Yes, there is. Um, and you can actually get free at-home tests from the state um, right now. Um, so they are available and you can you can uh, request those from the state and get and just have a couple of tests at your house in case you have any symptoms. You could take that test um, and, and know if you have COVID. There's also a lot of testing sites. I think over a thousand testing sites across our state um, that folks can still get free testing at. So um, we want to make sure that I think testing is going to be a really important 
piece of, of things going forward because as as we were talking about in an earlier segment there's going there are other viruses out there flu and parainfluenza and RSV and other coronaviruses and we're going to want to know which is covid and which isn't well, uh, yeah, one thing we didn't mention earlier when we were talking about lessons we learned, telemedicine, uh, of course, is uh, now uh, being uh, utilized a little bit more. And we learned uh, that that's a, a, a possible help in years ahead in these more rural areas of North Carolina where uh, the health care is uh, more difficult to get. Uh, that uh, is something I guess we should have brought up. Uh, when no, we were talking a, about lessons learned. It's a great topic um, and really important. I, I think telemedicine is here to stay. And in fact, if we call it telemedicine in five years, as opposed to just medicine, <laughs> um, we're, we're in trouble because I think it's here to stay. I think it's important. Um, and, you know, I my department runs the Medicaid program, the insurance program uh, for many, many um, North Carolinians. And we have made permanent that we are going to pay for telehealth visits going forward. Um, so it's not just limited to COVID. So I think we're gonna continue to see more progress there. I, I wanna see more of the insurance companies um, pay and continue to pay for telehealth visits so that we can meet people where they are. I think that's an important access point, um, but underlying all that is broadband, right? Folks need to have broadband access in order to take advantage of telemedicine. So the two go hand in hand. And I know the governor um, is working with the General Assembly now on more investments in broadband for North Carolina, because that's that's foundational for us to be able to continue telehealth. Well, we've got about a minute and a half left, and I think I'm just going to sort of turn to you and say, okay, we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, you've given us a lot of insight. You've given us a lot of advice. Is there anything I've fail to ask you that the public would probably really wish that I had asked you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think you, you, this was a great, uh, great hour. Thank you for the opportunity to talk through what's going on in North Carolina. Like I said, it's a, it's a different moment of this, this pandemic. We have vaccines, we have safe and effective and free vaccines. We need to use them um, and we need to protect each other. Um, sometimes that will be mean masks in certain settings like our, our schools, um, where we know our kids are unvaccinated. Sometimes that will mean masks for the unvaccinated. And sometimes that will even mean masks in public settings for people who are vaccinated, just to give them one layer of additional protection. I think that, but you know, North Carolina has been incredible at getting through this pandemic in the past 18 months. We are incredibly resilient. We will continue to do that. I'm really proud of our state. We're going to continue to keep working hard um, from the Department of Health and Human Services with the governor and his team uh, to make sure we're protecting the health and safety of, of all North Carolinians. We certainly have a lot else to do um, around health and well-being besides COVID. We talked about mental health and other medical issues. Um, and so you're going to see us, you know, make sure that we can learn the lessons from this pandemic uh, to continue to help the people of North Carolina. It's been an honor of a lifetime to serve during this historic time. Well, thank you so much, not only for your service, but also for taking the time to, uh, uh, and uh, your patience in answering some questions that I'm sure you are uh, well accustomed to answering, but still probably get to uh, answer far many more times than you would probably like to. Dr. Mandy Cohen, our guest on Carolina Newsmakers. We'll be back again next week with another guest. So. Uh, 
join us then. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.